0: Welcome to the latest episode of our FH Brussels podcast with me, Jim Brunsden. This is our regular pod where I'm joined by esteemed colleagues from the office and beyond to discuss pressing policy issues of the day, how they relate to the politics of our time. And nothing could be more timely than what we are about to discuss, which is the outcome of the COP28 climate summit in Dubai. Now, these COP summits are attended by top level policymakers from across the world, prime ministers, presidents even the occasional king and in terms of their duration and the intensity of negotiations they put even european councils to shame this cop like others before it has been labeled as historic the outcome document has been intensely fought over and i'm very lucky to have on the pod my colleague maximo micinilli who was actually there at the summit on the ground following all of this and engaging with with events to talk through how does the outcome measure measure up and how also do we measure up countries to it in the years to come to make sure that commitments are actually fulfilled? Hi, Max. Great to have you.
1: Hi. Hi, Jim. I'm I'm so glad to have this opportunity. It's been a while that I really wanted to 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 discuss with you about any energy and climate related topic. And by the way, you pronounce my family name
0: perfectly. So that's a great start. Amazing. A, f- a first win, a first win. And yes, Max is a repeat guest on, on the podcast. we we're very lucky to 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 have him back. Um, he is the uh, head of all things energy in our office, and and brings a lot of energy to that. And um, it's great it's great to bring that energy to the pod as well. Um, Max, um, just to just to kick off, obviously you were there at COP. The, the dust is now settling on what was agreed. Uh, how do you how do you see the the, the outcome? I mean, obviously there, there was a compromise, especially on the fossil fuels issue that that was very hard thought over people call this historic. Does it measure up as historic in your view, just to have your overview of what was agreed?
1: Yeah, look, I think it's historical, it's a huge, I would say, compliment and and perhaps a bit exaggerated. Of course, there was a lot of tension the very last days of COP, uh, all these wording around how to introduce, frame um, the phase out, phase down of fossil fuels that ended up with transitioning away from fossil fuels it's a sort of a last last minute win for the presidency but it doesn't mean that this will shape a clear pathway to move away from fossil and I I want to repeat that because yes it's true we have something we have a wording there it's there but the question is how are we going to implement that on top of all the pledges we have on top of all the technologies that we need to play in simultaneously in all all the regions of the world, it's a titanic. So I would say an important progress made on that perspective, but at the same time, this COP shows that the world is still under, let's say, the influence of geopolitics. I think for the first time, this COP has shown that geopolitical conflicts and uh, I would say the split between the BRICS and the rest of the world um, was very important. And, and I think we should be a bit more careful about claiming
0: great agreements before we see what can happen from now to 2030. The, this point about the, the geopolitics influencing the debate is is so interesting because Looking at the, st- the sort of speeches and uh, statements made during the COP, you, watching it from afar like I was, you have the impression of a, a bunch of important people who've gathered together and who are basically treating this like it's a crisis summit to save the earth. You know, we must act now or, or we're finished. Right. We let the ambition fail now. And and interestingly also, um, the extent to which countries fought over the wording of, of the final statement um would appear to indicate that they feel they're going to be really bound by what's agreed you know there were like basically people wrangling over wording until the point of exhaustion on on this but then on the other hand people leave you know people leave jubai people go home and, and you're left with the question well how do you enforce this so there's i'd really appreciate your guidance on on this yeah how much to, to read into a statement where on the one hand the effort that went into negotiating wording you had the impression that you know, whole countries' destinies were on the line, and yet, on the other hand, the history of climate summit is that we don't necessarily always implement everything we've agreed.
1: Yeah, totally. Look, I think we really need to look into the specifics of the agreements. For instance, I tend to believe that the 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 methane uh, reduction pledge by more than fifty oil and gas companies is much more significant in terms of what is possible and the reduction of the emissions. Let's not forget a third, uh, a third of the emissions coming from methane. So that's a huge task to get to net zero and oil and gas companies will need to deliver by 2030. So that one is very important. We can measure that. The EU has a strong methane regulation now. We can work together. It's a global thing. But then when you look at other important um, uh, agreements like the renewables and energy efficiency pledges, so you know um, you see that yes, you can triple renewables. I think the world is ready for that, especially uh, especially the, the developed uh, countries. But then the question is what do you need to implement it? You need grids. You need much more access to capital. You need land use, um, land use uh, laws that will allow uh, investors to do it. Um, so you will need a lot of good regulation and you need fast implementation to uh, reach these targets. And we know Europe is ahead of the game, but the problem with Europe is that we depend on all these um, uh, critical raw materials to do it at home. Yeah. So while some countries, some countries have the capabilities to do it because they have everything to do so, some others don't have the critical raw materials like the EU. So the, the game is very complex. Now let me say another thing about you know the, the pledges and, and the progress made. Um, there is a big issue with climate finance. and I think the developing world, so the global south was very critical about it. Saying okay, we have new funding like l- l- loss and damage. We have a bit more money for adaptation and mitigation funding, but if you look at the real numbers, we they will need, excluding China, around two point five three trillion dollars uh, per year from now to twenty thirty, and we are not even close to sixty billions per year. So it's a huge gap, Jim, and I believe that. This is going to be the big issue for the next COPs. Climate finance, how we raise the capital, how we avoid competition across different funding is really important. And of course, implementation.
0: So Max, as you've set out, you know, there, are, there are all these different elements to this and, um, it can make, you know, for, for an outsider like me, it can make COP quite difficult to follow. Uh, on day one of this summit, for example, we had agreement on a loss and damage fund that like right. clear breakthrough for one part of the puzzle. Uh, you mentioned the agreement on, on methane, the agreement on tripling renewables, um, and, and and then the discussions in the end game about really directly targeting uh, fossil fuels. But as you said, these different bits are actually all interconnected. They're part of a, a, a whole picture that we have to build and deliver on to actually get somewhere because you can have targets like tripling renewables, but then you need the climate finance. Uh, and if you're going to transition to new technologies, uh, which are less carbon intensive than you need the critical raw materials, and as you also mentioned, these things are spread incredibly unevenly around the world. So we have different we have different start different starting points relating to levels of relative wealth, access to capital, um, availability of critical of critical raw materials. Uh, so, to what extent do you think this COP actually grasped the whole of that picture and said, okay, here is a plan that will get the world to net zero, and we've got the financing building blocks, we've got the We've got the transition pathways, uh, we've got the accountability. I mean, to what extent or, or to what extent are we just playing with were they playing with bits and pieces of a larger picture?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you are really asking the question about COP, the scope and governance of these meetings. Because, you know, we were all talking about, oh, we have a thousand uh delegates, stakeholders going to COP, it's a record, it's the almost doubling the last COP in Egypt how comes. And, and, you know, there is also a reason why these clubs are becoming bigger and bigger, because the agendas are increasingly, I mean, huge. And we have, for instance, discussions about water now, about the role of, of the World Bank and regional, regional banks and how to deal with climate finance. We have also a huge declaration on health and health systems and climate change. So I think We are hitting, I would say, the limits, the ceiling of the governance of COP. It's very difficult to follow everything, Jim. I mean, being around for a week, uh, 60 meetings, huge agendas, side events, very much entertaining. But I think these COPs will need a bit more focus, where the entire delegations, the 200 countries focusing on two, three things. Because you know the climate finance cannot be just another topic on top of, you know, um, on top of I don't know um, a new uh, the nuclear pledges, the hydrogen pledges, the cement pledges. So I think we have an inflation of pledges. We need <laughs> much more time. Yeah, we need much more time on accountability, accountability for the big goals. And I I think people are saying now. We are on track to the 1.5 goal. And I would say we are on track if, if, if. And there are too many ifs. I think some regions are on track to reach the targets. Like it happens in the EU internally. Some countries are really there. But honestly, the global south is becoming more and more critical of the whole process. I've been discussing with Brazilians, with African, African countries, with Asian countries. They were telling me. I'm sorry, Max, but how on earth we are not discussing CBAM and and how the World Trade Organization um, uh, will deal with it? We are not equipped globally to deal with the gaps of climate finance. We need this funding that we're providing at COP are not enough. We know now the numbers. Time time is is, is ticking, and 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 honestly, I don't think um, Jim. Uh, is good news what happened at COP28
0: in terms of the governance and scope. I think we need to streamline this much better in the next two COPs. It's, it's fascinating what you said about hitting the limits of governance, because that seems to really get at the heart of the kind of existential question around COP, which is what is it? You know, is it a form of global governance on on climate? So can it hold, can it really hold national governments to account? To to what extent is it sort of a global governing body that can be an almost like proto world government on this issue and and you know to to purposefully exaggerate and 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 drive the the the, the world to to net zero and you mentioned as well you know, the expanding range of people coming um, i suppose one question people listening to this might have is why were we there um in the sense that you know if if this is sort of a, a kind of governing body taking governing decisions reaching international agreement well, the European Council does that, and it's it's the European Council does that on EU issues, and it isn't being you know it, there isn't a business presence at the European Council. So, so just just to, is it possible just to explain why were we there and why were so many other stakeholders there? Well, first,
1: you know, on the again uh, on what is COP about, I think it was very clear what COP was about since I would say the, the mid nineties, where we realized that there is a incredibly urgency on how we reduce CO2 emissions. But of course, the more than this collective, because you see the delegations coming, speaking about so many topics, we see that the complexity of emissions is not just about the energy sector, it's about the entire economy. And, And the timing is of the essence, because if China is saying, we're going to hit net zero by 2060 or 70. It might mean that the whole, whole world will not hit net zero by 2050 because the economies are transitioning and are changing and the time you need to do it and the capital you need to do it, it changes from region to region. So I, I would say that we're much more savvy at COP's now mm-hmm. because when you speak to people compared to my previous COPs, people are saying, this is how my sector, this is how my economy can contribute to be realistic about targets by 2030 and then 2050, which didn't happen in the past. Now, question is, do we need to include all the different parts of the economy and elements before we fix the problem of the CO2 emissions? That's a big question, and we're not discussing about that. For instance, do we invite more the water sector to contribute to the reduction of emissions and also to help the sector and COP to deal with water stress and water infrastructure problems, nobody's talking about this, Jim. Yeah, we were all adding, adding, adding more things to the to the box of COP. But at the end of the day, we have to focus more now on the second question. I think it's 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 really important to understand that COP is not the Brussels bubble. For those in the Brussels bubble, it's not the bubble; it's a different animal. In mm. this animal. Of, uh, of negotiating at COP is um, constantly evolving throughout the year. Don't think of as a big summit, people come in, discuss, sign a text and go home. There are plenty of technical groups, plenty of subgroups, plenty of political discussions. And by the way, it's getting much more politicized because we know when US and China discuss in a, in a closed room, things can move or things might not move. That's why I'm saying, Uh, COP reflects the state of the international world order today, which is transitioning. So, uh, Fleischmann Hiller was there because we were first accompanying clients to understand the process. Second, to understand the complexities of the different regions and make sure that they don't pass the message of I have the best pledge in town. Right. I have a plan, I have a technology, and I can be accountable for that. That's our main message. We are not going there to advocate for the final text. I want to be very clear on that. We are there, there to connect the right corporates, the right associations, the right stakeholders to the right people to talk about what is important for them and also make sure that they can build consensus, not only in Europe. Because let's be very, very, very honest here, Jamie. Mm. It is Europe. The climate neither wants to be. Today at COP 28, or is not what the kind of leader that we thought it would be by today. That's but, a big question.
0: But I mean, it's it's aspiration. Like the EU's clear aspiration was to be the global leader on this, right? It, it was to okay. go and own these summits and basically be setting the standards and giving the examples. Absolutely. That others would be following his way. I mean, that, others would follow in its way. I mean, this goes back to the EU establishing. Um, establishing the ETS, for example, the emissions trading system, as a exactly. as 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 a gold standard for for the world. That was the, that was the pitch, right? But you're saying that the reality is falling below the level of the aspiration.
1: Yeah, I, I'm saying that we have to um, make an assessment, and Fleischmann will do an assessment for for clients, where we will look at all the agreements and see how that will impact the EU from a policy perspective for the next commission. And from a political perspective the energy politics around it or climate politics i have to say that europe can only sustain its let's say political pledge of being the global leader on climate if we manage to be accountable for the goals we have by 2030 and the goals we would like to set for 2040 but also we make sure that we have our reindustrialization happen as soon as possible. Because the vulnerability that Europe showed in the last energy crisis, the vulnerability we have on, on critical raw materials and access to capital, the vulnerability after IRA that we don't know how to deal with that, let's be honest, that projects the sort of Europe cannot be the environmental or climate regulatory exp- export machine to the rest of the world. Why, the Brazilians were telling me, why we're we going fo- we're going to follow taxonomy in Brazil, mm. like the EU. We have a plan, but is that working? Uh, are we going to set, for instance, in different countries in Asia, uh, an uh, emission trading system with 60, 100 euros per ton of CO2? Would that help us? Or it's just having that to avoid SIBA? So you see that Europe is not the force we expect here from Brussels to be. And for the next commission, and I, I would tend to say for COP30, which is the the big meeting that Brazilians are already preparing, Europe needs to come there not only with the broad basket of regulation and how great we can be about regulating markets and, and climate policies. We have to go there showing we did this and yeah. that happened to our economy. It's so important
0: to you. Yeah, but this is... This is. Oh, sorry, I was Um But where that sort of leads us then is is to a a sort of tricky moment of decision for the EU, right? Because the EU model on the transition is kind of contingent on other countries following suits. You know, we want other countries to align their levels of ambition, and we want them to align their policies because that then ensures the sort of quote-unquote level playing field that that helps preserve European competitiveness, which is another part of this puzzle and you know Europe wants to be able to export to the rest of the world not just its regulations but also its it, its products and services be a and remain a um a global economic superpower. so um, I suppose the general question then is is where does cop twenty eight leave the eu afterwards in terms of its in terms of its green deal ambitions, its its climate leadership ambitions
1: yeah I, I think I mean, as much as we read on the headlines historical, i think plenty of MEPs saying this is a great achievement, in particular on on the renewables and energy efficiency pledges, it's true that that sort of power we have on climate is reflected on the entire renewables agenda. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the other big winners of this COP28, let's talk about nuclear. We have 20 plus countries launching this um, commitment for more nuclear, we have the U.S., uh, John Kerry announcing this new global partnership uh, on nuclear uh, fusion. We had a lot of talk about hydrogen. Europe is not leading in any of these three. Yeah. The, the feeling is that, that in this clean tech or energy global race, on how we're going to be more sustainable from fuels to electricity, Europe is becoming a little bit more the follower of some big countries making the point around, we're gonna have more nuclear, we will fix the issues we might have on energy security. We will have more hydrogen and we export worldwide. We're gonna have more energy, we're gonna export. So Europe is not putting on the market the solutions about these technologies, but rather saying, I can regulate and can I can create a market. The mm-hmm. question is, are we going to be as fast to develop these technologies in the European soil to make a point in the next two, three years, or in the next two, three years, Europe will be seen as a great region to pledge about technologies, but actually it's not anymore an area where you go and invest on these technologies. So Europe is getting a bit weaker. I I know it it hurts. We are all very Europeans. uh, um, But I I think we need to make a a realistic, uh, you know, Sanity check and and understand and accept that we took the region we took the European Union to the max we can in terms of climate policies. And if you look, for instance, uh, uh, voluntary carbon markets, we didn't make any progress. And we expected obviously the European uh, Union to push for that because we are we are having our own legislation. Yeah. So uh, we're struggling to be the strong. Uh, climate uh, superpower we want to be. It doesn't mean that this is over, but now we need to deliver in practice. We need to show that we have more electrolyzers in Europe, we need to show that we have more battery producers in Europe, we need to show that we are capable to roll out a vast amount of, of uh, electricity transmission lines, and we need to show that people coming to Europe as um, the region where climate change policies are the most effective. And we are far from that. So I just want to say, careful for the next cops.
0: We need to show more than just regulation. So Max, if I could to try and sum this up then. So the European situation is one where Europe has shown real leadership, policy leadership, regulatory leadership. The question is a bit more, well, where, where are the followers behind the leader? Are, are they actually following the leader? But Europe has not been the leader necessarily in investment, be that public or private, into, into tech. And it hasn't necessarily been the leader when it comes to hard choices about energy mix, about decarbonizing the the energy mix. And so some of those hard choices, they lie ahead, um, especially given the awareness, uh, the highest levels of decision making now in the EU on the need to focus on competitiveness, on the need to focus on the economy.
1: Totally. I think that this is reflected into the uh, Green Deal 2.0, where the Green Deal is there and will be there. um, But it has to be. A, a very effective instrument to reindustrialize, and there, the whole reindustrialization started to be a discussion at COP as well, because you need more than ever public support to come up with the new storage, the new batteries, the new hydrogen uh, electrolyzers, and, and and Europe, there is seen as a bit hesitant, yeah, because Europe wants to. But Europe is not delivering on time. And I think the timing again is so crucial. So we'll see if Europe can continue to be a leader. Obviously, the sophistication of our regulation makes Europe always very a sexy uh, continent, a sexy region for the entire world, no doubt about it. But we cannot expect that what we, for instance, adopted on Fit for 55 package. Uh, Also corporate sustainability reporting is something that will guarantee the leadership in a system that is changing where it's more polarized, where it's more realpolitik, where there are decisions more calculated and where we know that the fossil fuels will stay there for a long while. So that is a bit of an ethical even um, choice for the EU. Uh, how to decarbonize and give space to, to oil and gas, how to distinguish the good from the bad. Those are doing the homework, for instance, on the methane. So there's a lot of details to be discussed at your, European level. And I think the elections will show with the new leadership, Jim. I know you follow this uh, very nicely. Um, if Europe will go to the next COP as uh, the new climate leader with different options and also a solution for policies like CBAM, because this is creating a lot of um, um, a lot of uh, distrust in some partners, like in the US, in Brazil, in other countries, and accommodate a new era for a multilateral system. I think, again, let's not forget the multilateralism here, the famous Red Woods institutions, World Bank, World Trade Organization, they need to find their role in the system. and And Europe needs to work also very hard on that agenda. We cannot split climate from trade. We cannot split competition rules in the EU from from climate policies and
0: clean tech technology. We need to start thinking uh, much more holistically. Yeah. So the scope of actors, the scope of policy areas, the scope of international cooperation that needs to become part of this conversation about the climate transition actually is still just going to get wider. Um, so yeah. And so not, not completely mission accomplished. Then then well certainly your mission accomplished, Matt Max at COP, but. For the policymakers, perhaps not mission accomplished at at COP, and certainly not mission accomplished for the EU. Thank you so much, Max. Thanks so much for coming on again. Sure, it was a pleasure, and have an excellent afternoon. Bye.